Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and if you caught last week's episode, you got to hear my pick for the top 10 used vehicles we covered here on the Better Than New podcast in 2022. And if you didn't get a chance to hear it, definitely check out that episode, as my number one pick is something you might not expect. I like to think of it as the Swiss army knife of vehicles. You can get it with either a hard top or a convertible top. You can run it with doors or no doors. You can get it with a manual or an automatic transmission. It runs on-road or off-road. It's an iconic vehicle known around the world, and it's capable of taking you on an adventure of a lifetime, no matter where you want to go. What is it? Eh, Listen to the episode. Find out for yourself. Or cheat and go look at the show notes if you want. Anyway, it's a great vehicle. You should check it out. But today, I want to look forward to 2023 and give you a hint of some of the interesting cars, trucks, and SUVs I plan to talk about in the coming year. And we'll dive into that in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. It's a little hard to believe that 2022 is almost over. I mean, I don't know about you, but time just seems to fly by for me. Take this podcast, for instance. It seems like I just launched the Better Than New podcast a couple of weeks ago, but this is episode 32. Now, it's pretty common in the podcasting world that many people don't make it past 10 episodes, so I'm really thankful to you and to everyone who's downloaded an episode or two or 32 over the last year. It's been a great ride so far, and I'm really looking forward to an even better second year of this podcast. Now, I do this podcast because the prices of new cars and even the average used car are just too high. I mean, this year, the price of an average new car in the U.S. topped out a little bit over 48000 I think I mentioned it was approaching fifty a couple of times, but it was a little bit over forty-eight. It's come down a little bit since then, but this is according to Kelly Blue Book. Other sources show the average price of a luxury car at more than $67,000. And the average price of an EV is around $65,000. Again, this is in the U.S. Used cars, they're around $33,000 on average. I don't know about you, but that's just too much money. So I'm really focused on helping you identify and locate fun-to-drive vehicles that are kind of in the, you know, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 range. That's kind of the sweet spot. That's what I'm looking at. And the great news is there's a lot of good cars, trucks, SUVs in that range. So that's the kind of stuff that we're going to focus on. Now, I distinctly remember thinking when I started this podcast that I would run out of great used cars and trucks to talk about. I would run out of things to say. I would run out of affordable vehicles. I would run out of topics. But over the last few weeks, I've been expanding my list of potential episodes for 2023 and beyond. And, you know, it's funny, I have way more than enough to fill an entire second year. So today, I want to give you a little preview of some of the used cars, trucks, and SUVs we'll be looking into and recommending for purchase in the new year. And I want to start with the SUV category. So I think it's time for me to dig into Toyota's Land Cruiser as a used vehicle option. And the one I'm looking at is the 100 Series Land Cruiser available from 1998 to 2007. You may be familiar with these. They're a tough body-on-frame construction. But what's really cool about the Land Cruiser is that Toyota built these to last a minimum of 25 years. 
Now, most of their vehicles, they kind of target about 15 years, and that's probably typical for most manufacturers. But 25 years is a long, long time, and that's a minimum. Now, that's assuming you maintain it and all that kind of stuff. But these things are super tough. They go forever. And with the 4.7 liter V8 and 230 horsepower, you can load it up with people and gear. This is a seven, eight passenger vehicle. So you can carry all of your stuff, all of your kids, all of their junk, put a rocket box on the top, hang some bikes off the back and go off on an adventure. It's amazing. Now, it's also available as the LX470. That's basically the same vehicle. I personally like the 100 Series Land Cruiser better than the LX470, but that's just me. It's just more of an aesthetic thing. But they're both great vehicles, so that's a great option. Now, they are expensive, so Land Cruisers have gone up in price, and they've uh, kind of gotten out of reach for some people. And some people don't want to pay the you know $20,000 entry fee for a car that's already got a couple hundred thousand miles on it. You know, 175 200 220 That seems like a lot of miles for the money. So if you're looking for a cheaper option, we're also going to explore the Isuzu Trooper. Now you might think, what, the Trooper? Hello, Isuzu? What's that? Well, I'm talking about the second-gen Isuzu Trooper, available from 1991 to 2002. It's not exactly a competitor to the Land Cruiser. However, it is a tough body-on-frame truck, and it came with either an automatic or a manual, and you could get it with a 3.2-liter V6 that made 190 horsepower, or a 3.5-liter V6 that made 215 horsepower. And these things are much less expensive, so it's definitely an option to consider. Another SUV that's a competitor to the Land Cruiser is Toyota's own Sequoia. And I'm talking about the first-generation Sequoia. Again, big body-on-frame truck, lots of room, tons of space, not built quite to the same standard as the Land Cruiser, but most of these things were used to go to the mall, to go shopping. You know, people hauled their family around in these things, and they never really went off-road. So, you know, 15, 20 years later, people are selling their Sequoia, and it's got 100,000 miles on it, and it's been well cared for, well maintained at the dealer. Why not pick up one? Use it as your camping vehicle on the weekends. It's a great way to go. So we'll talk about those. We'll also look into the Nissan Xterra, the Nissan Pathfinder. Um, I'm going to take a look back also at the Isuzu Viacross. Remember that vehicle? Those are great. They didn't make a lot of them. It was kind of a show car that became a street vehicle back between 1999 and 2001. I think about 4,500 were built. Not many, but a very interesting vehicle. So we'll look at that among others. So there are definitely some interesting options for SUVs, and we will explore those in 2023. Now, on the truck side, like many of you, I'm a fan of small pickups that dominated the automotive landscape during the 1980s and 1990s. And back then, kind of everybody's favorite was the Toyota pickups. My dad bought one. It was a 1980, had a five-speed four-wheel drive, and the only option other than the five-speed, I think, was air conditioning. Had a bench seat, kind of a blue fabric-covered bench seat, white exterior, white steel wheels. But that truck was great. It could go anywhere. So I wish we still had it. But those are very popular. The sad thing is they've really gone up in price a lot in the last, you know, three to five years. People really ask a premium for those. So what's an option? Well, the Nissan hard body pickups from 1986 to 1997. That's a great option, so we'll explore that. Also, we'll look at the Mazda pickups, the fourth-gen 
B-series pickups from 1985 to 1998. That's another solid option, although I think I prefer the Nissan hard body pickups. So we'll talk about those, plus several other pickups in the coming year. And finally, under the truck and SUV category is a subcategory I like to think of as funky little 4x4 things. That includes the Daihatsu Rocky, the Suzuki Samurai. Those are definitely funky little 4x4 things. Still fun to drive. Difficult to find in good condition, but they're out there. For something that's a little bit bigger, a little more substantial, there's the Dodge Raider and its comparable two-door Mitsubishi Montero. And there's also the Geo Tracker and the Suzuki Sidekick. So we'll take a closer look at those. Those are some interesting kind of weekend 4x4 vehicles for, you know, one or two people to go back up into the woods, go hiking, camping, that sort of thing. We'll even take a close look at the original funky little 4x4, the Subaru Brat. Remember the Brat? <laughs> those are great. Difficult to find, but we'll take a closer look at those and see if maybe they can pull duty as a fun-to-drive weekend option for the more outdoor-oriented drivers. So the next category is muscle cars. Now, these have kind of fallen out of favor due to the cost of gasoline and the onset of the electric vehicle revolution, but that means you might find a bargain or two if you're looking for something fun to drive especially if you're working from home and just need an occasional car or you want something for your weekend driving adventures. Another way to look at it is this may be your last chance to own a fun car with a V8 engine. Okay, something to think about. So what are we going to look at? Well, I want to take a closer look at the 2011 and later Mustang GT with the 5-liter Coyote V8 that made 412 horsepower when introduced and had an available 6-speed manual. Now, stock examples back in the day could give the same-year BMW M3 a run for its money on a racetrack. It was a great video with Randy Popst from Motor Trend, I think it was. They did a head-to-head track test, and the M3 was just a little bit quicker than the Mustang GT, which is kind of surprising. I mean, the Mustang was kind of all over the place, a little bit of a Mr. Toad's wild ride kind of thing, but still competitive. So that's kind of cool. That'd be a great one. Other muscle cars I think worth considering are the fourth gen Chevrolet Camaro, the Chevy Camaro, and the fourth gen Pontiac Firebird. Now, Pontiac doesn't exist anymore as a brand, but Back in the day, these two were kind of similar, and they offered a lot of performance for the money. Now, the fourth-gen cars of both were available from 1993 to 2002. And on the Chevy side, you could get a V8 that had anywhere from 275 to 330 horsepower with a six-speed manual. And on the Pontiac side, like a Trans Am, you could get a V8 that had 275 horsepower up to 350 horsepower. That's pretty substantial. Again, six-speed manual, great vehicles. Yes, you could get an automatic, but come on, why would you do that? It's a V8. Go have some fun. Teach yourself how to drive a manual. Come on. And if you're a Dodge fan, I would say we'll go the wagon route and take a close look at the Dodge Magnum SRT8 Sport Wagon. Now, that particular wagon came in various configurations, but the Magnum SRT8 version debuted in 2006 And it came with a 6.1 liter Hemi V8 that made 425 horsepower. And it could run kind of low quarter mile times in the 13 second range. 
that's pretty amazing. And it's, you know, it's not the Griswold family truckster. It's definitely a, a muscle wagon, if you will. So we'll check out those along with some other interesting muscle cars. Definitely some fun stuff. Uh, what's a little bit more frugal? Well, I love hatchbacks and hatchbacks are fun. And we're going to start with a couple of the Ford ST versions. You might remember the Fiesta ST and the Focus ST. Well, the Fiesta ST came with a 1.6 liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine. It made 197 horsepower, had a six-speed manual. Super fun to drive with great handling. That's not too harsh. It could be a daily driver for you. It was available with Recaro front bucket seats. Inside, there was some kind of, you know, low-rent plastic materials, and the back seat was kind of cramped, so that sort of revealed its humble Fiesta roots, if you will. But it really doesn't stop the driving fun, so I'm a big fan of the Fiesta ST, and we will dig into that. Um, if you want something larger and a bit more practical than the Fiesta ST, but still just as fun, the Focus ST is another great way to go. 253 horsepower out of a 2-liter four-cylinder turbocharged engine, six-speed manual. It's the Focus to get if you can't afford the full-bore Focus RS with all-wheel drive. You know, those are like 35 to 40 grand, so Focus ST is a better way to go. What else? Hatchbacks. Um, Mazda Speed 3. We're going to take a close look at the first-gen and second-gen Mazda Speed 3 hatchback. 2.3-liter turbocharged intercooled engine, made 263 horsepower, 280 pound-feet of torque, had a limited slip differential, ABS, six-speed manual. Great car, fun to drive, a lot of um, enthusiast support for that. Another one, this is a car that I like to say that it sounds like one quarter of a Ferrari. If you can imagine what that would sound like, that's what this next car sounds like. It's the Fiat 500 Abarth. Available from 2012 to 2019, it had a 1.4 liter, so small, 160 horsepower turbo engine, four-cylinder, manual transmission only up through 2015, but you could get an automatic between 2016 and 2019. But again, why would you do that? You know, it comes with a sport suspension. It's a sporty little car, fun to drive, good fuel economy, reasonable fuel economy, just a great hatchback. So that's one of four I mentioned. We're going to cover some other ones, but those are going to be some great episodes to check out. If you want a sedan, there's some really great sedans out there. Lexus has some great stuff that we haven't talked about yet. I want to dig into. So if you're looking for a smooth V8 powered five passenger long distance sedan, the Lexus GS400, GS430, GS460 these were available between 1997 and 2011. These are great front-engine, rear-drive sedans, and all-wheel drive was an option starting in 2005. But you can take these on a long cross-country trip with the family. If you don't need to carry a ton of gear, it's got a decent-sized trunk. Just an amazing car, and really quite a value currently. Also, if you want something a little bit smaller, a little bit sportier, the IS350 and 250, this is the second gen Lexus IS. These were available from 2005 to 2014. They were available in rear wheel drive and all wheel drive. Sort of a BMW 3 Series competitor, but not really. The 3 Series is probably a little bit more sporty at the very outside of the envelope. But these are really nice cars and a great commuter. So if you need a sedan, it's a great way to go. Not a lot of room in the back seat on these, so 
the bigger GS400, 430, 460 would be a better choice if you need space inside. A couple of other sedans we'll cover. One is a little funky. It's the Mazda Speed 6. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, what, what was that? So the Mazda Speed 6 is an all-wheel drive turbocharged version of the Mazda 6 sedan. It had an s- engine that was similar to the one that came in the Mazda Speed 3. It's a 2.3 liter turbo and made 274 horsepower. These cars, a lot of people thought of them as a competitor to the Lancer Evolution from Mitsubishi and Subaru's WRX STI. But the reality is they were more like kind of a Mazda version of a Audi A4. Not really a competitor to those more uh, rally-oriented specials, okay? Still a great car. Now, a lot of them have been modified. A lot of them have just kind of disappeared from the road. But if you can find one that's like one or two owners and in good condition, been well-maintained, and it's in pretty much stock condition, that's the one to get. That's going to be a great sedan. Now, something on the funky and really affordable side is the Ford SVT Contour. So the Contour was available from 1998 to 2000, the SVT Contour, and it came with a 2.5 liter six-cylinder. It made 200 horsepower, and it was massaged by Ford's special vehicle team to be an all-around great performance sedan. And the SVT Contour is a inexpensive option if you can find a good one. So lots of fun for the money. Now in the sports car category, we're going to dig into the Nissan 350Z and its comparable Infiniti G35 Coupe. I think of it as a Z alternative, although it does have a plus two seating. So it's got seating in the back for two people. Not a ton of space, but surprisingly larger than you would think. And it is a longer wheelbase than the 350Z, but they share a lot of components and they both come with a manual transmission, at least as an option. So we'll talk about those. We're also going to look at the three German cars that competed against each other back in the late 90s, early 2000s. That's the Porsche 986 Boxster. The original was from 1997 to 99. The BMW Z3 and the Mercedes-Benz SLK. All of those were sort of competing for that same slice of the market, but they were all a little bit different. The Boxster was a mid-engine, horizontally opposed six-cylinder car. The BMW Z3 was a front-engine, rear-drive, traditional sports car. And the Mercedes-Benz SLK was a front-engine, rear-drive convertible with a retractable hardtop. But it was only available with an automatic. The other two cars came with a manual transmission. So they really kind of appealed to different drivers. So we'll dig into those. I also want to take a deep dive into the Corvette and try and come up with what's the best Corvette for the money? What's the value Corvette? Is it the C4? Is it the C5? Is it something else? We'll take a look. We're also going to look at a couple of still viable but no longer made American sports cars. And they're kind of brothers from another mother. One is the Saturn Sky and the other one is the Pontiac Solstice. And we're going to look at the performance versions of those, the higher performance versions. The Saturn Sky Redline and the Pontiac Solstice GXP. Those two sports cars represent a real value in the marketplace. There's a lot of performance for the money, and they haven't gone up as much as you might think they would, in spite of the fact that they're no longer being made. 
Um, there's, you know, maybe a couple things that hold them back. We'll get into that, but really some great options for sports cars coming up in 2023. Now you might be thinking, he hasn't said anything about electric vehicles. What's up with that? Well, we are going to get into EVs. Used EVs have been sort of an interesting part of the automotive landscape. There are used EVs out there that are, you know, somewhat affordable. And there's some new incentives now that can, you know, maybe save you some money either on taxes or give you a tax break, even on a used car. So some of the cars we'll look at include the small Fiat 500e, the Nissan Leaf, BMW's i3, the Chevy Bolt, the Volkswagen e-Golf. Those are just a few. We'll probably even take a close look at a used Tesla and see if that actually provides some value to you. Now, some of these cars, some of the EVs that are out there are still really expensive. And depending on the tax break you get, depending on the incentive, there might be kind of a sweet spot for which one is going to be the most affordable for you. So we're going to look into that confusing array of tax breaks and incentives and try and find out what the sweet spot really is. I've got an expert or two who are going to come on the show and talk to us about that. So we'll dig into that slowly over the course of the year and give you some recommendations for used electric vehicles that you could have in your garage, okay? And finally, coupes are this episode's final category, and there are a lot of great examples to choose from, starting with one of my favorites, the Lexus SC400 Coupe. These were available from 1992 through model year 2000, and they came with a 4-liter V8 that made 250 horsepower when they were introduced and moved all the way up in the final three years of production to 290 horsepower. They added variable valve timing and some other tweaks that, you know, made a little bit extra horsepower. Any year of those is great. The styling's really grown on me. I really like those. Now, there was also a six-cylinder version, the SC300, and in that version, you could get a manual transmission, which you can't get in the SC400. So that's a little bit of a bummer. I would probably opt to get a 98 through 2000 model because they have a five-speed automatic in the SC400. But really, any year is great. So we'll talk about those. We'll also dig into the Acura RSX Type S and really the entire RSX line. There are several versions to dig into, so the RSX is kind of a cool car. We're also going to dig into the Diamond Star Motors cars, the DSM cars. That includes the Mitsubishi Eclipse, the Eagle Talon, and the Plymouth Laser. These have a lot in common, at least drivetrain-wise, with the Gallant VR4, which we talked about in a previous episode this year. So we'll dig into those. Um, there's not a lot available, but they're an interesting option if you're looking for a fun-to-drive coupe that is turbocharged and you can modify to make more horsepower. Now, one that's probably, I got to say, one of my top five cars that I would want to purchase is the BMW 128i Sport Coupe. A lot of people like the 135i because it has a twin turbo inline six that makes 300 horsepower and, you know, zero to 60 is like four and a half seconds. It's amazing. It's a fun car. But you know what? The BMW 128i with a 230 horsepower six-cylinder engine, no turbochargers, with a manual transmission and the M Sport package, which has, you know, sport suspension, sport seats, that sort of thing. That, to me, is really the sweet spot, sort of the holy grail of recent BMWs. It's a four-seat coupe. It's really kind of a two-plus-two. It doesn't have a lot of room in the back. You can put two people back there, and they'd be comfortable enough. But it's really for two people. I look at it and think... Man, this is the perfect BMW. If I was going to get one, 
I don't want one that's super complicated. You know, over time, things break. Turbochargers are expensive to replace. So while I love the horsepower, I don't love the tweaking and the messing around. Um, Plus, it gets a lot hotter under the hood with a couple of turbos. So this is kind of my favorite car. But you'd have to get it with the manual, or I'd have to get it with the manual. And I'd have to get it with the M Sport package, the sport suspension and seats. That's the best way to get it. And that would be kind of a car that, I mean, I could drive that for 10 years and just be really, really happy. So we'll talk about that. We'll dig into that. Um, Some other interesting cars that are coupes. The Chevrolet Cobalt SS. You might remember that supercharged Cobalt. We'll talk about that car. We'll talk about the Dodge Neon SRT4, the turbocharged Neon. Not a lot were made, but they are interesting cars. And finally, in honor of the GR Corolla. Now, the GR Corolla is a car that I mentioned in an earlier episode as a car that I would love to test drive now to purchase a few years from now. Well, I'm not going to get a test drive one because A, they aren't making that many. B, they're incredibly popular. They're going to sell every single one that they make. And C, they're probably not going to let somebody just drive one because it's like a 300 horsepower all-wheel drive Corolla hatchback. It's basically, you know, like a World Rally Championship car. But it's not a World Rally Championship homologation special because that job, for Toyota anyway, goes to the GR Yaris, which is not sold in the U.S. The thing that's really cool about the GR Corolla is that Toyota decided, hey, let's just build a rally car for America, even though it's not our rally car. Hey, my hat is off to Toyota for doing that. If you wind the clock back three years, four years, I would say that Toyota is just a boring company that makes fine cars. Okay? (laughs) They're just, you know, they're nothing wrong with them. They're great, but just kind of boring. Yeah, they had the Toyota 86, which was the Scion FRS and the Subaru BRZ. But with the introduction of the fifth gen Supra, it was model year 2020, it's the GR Supra, the introduction of the GR Corolla and the latest version of the Toyota 86, the GR86 sports car. Those cars are great. Those three, it's like, wow, Toyota's back. Reminds me of the 80s and 90s when they had interesting Celicas, they had MR2s, they had Supras, they had fun stuff to drive. They are back. So we're going to take a little ride back on the Wayback Machine and look at the Celica All-Track Turbo. Came in two versions. First version, the ST-165, was available from 1988 to 1989. And the ST-185 was available here in the U.S. from 1990 to 1993. Other parts of the world know it as the Toyota Celica GT4. And that was the basis for Toyota's World Rally Championship car back in the you know late 80s, early 90s. Okay? Great car, uh, competitive on the World Rally Championship circuit. Uh, I used to own a first-gen version, a 1988 model, and they're fantastic. So we'll just kind of take a look back at those. And that's just a handful of the coupes that we'll be talking about in 2023. And overall, that's a handful of the vehicles I'll be talking about with you in 2023 here on the Better Than New podcast. So I really hope you can join me. It's going to be a good year. And remember, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to follow this podcast. And if you think it would appeal to a like-minded car-loving enthusiast, 
leaving a recommendation to listen would really help build the audience so I can continue to bring you reviews of affordable, fun-to-drive, used cars, trucks, and SUVs. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode. And be sure to join me next week as I start off the new year with some predictions and some ideas how you can find and save money on a great used vehicle in 2023. And until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.